For those who don't know me, my name is John, one of the pastors here, and we are in uh, a new series right now. We actually launched it last weekend called Crucial Conversations. And what we're trying to do as a church is look at what are some of the conversations or what are some of the, you could even say tension points or um, some of the discussions we might be having outside of the church, some of the questions we might be asking just in our everyday conversations, and let's bring those crucial conversations inside the building here and explore them as a church, what the what the Word says, what we believe God says, what His heart is. And so last week, Pastor Michael, who's in Coolangatta preaching this morning, um, spoke about deconstruction and Jesus. So if you weren't here last week or if you didn't get a chance to watch it online, would love you guys to go to our YouTube channel, just type in uh, New Life Church and you can find that message. Just a really, really powerful message and it was a great one to kind of kick off this series. Uh, we're also going to be looking at modern me- medicine and miracles. We're going to be looking at God and suffering. And then today we're looking at refugees. And so we're going to be exploring what is the refugee situation in the, in the world right now. Um, many of us would have seen a few weeks ago those pictures that were just um, very confronting of people trying to hop onto a plane as it was taking off in Afghanistan, people trying to flee that nation. We're going to be looking at this morning, what does is, what is the Scripture say about refugees? And then also as believers, and not just as believers, but as citizens of this incredible country, what is our responsibility to um, uh, welcome in the refugee? And uh, we have the incredible privilege this morning of hearing, I'm going to actually be interviewing uh, Tim Buxton. Uh, for those who don't know Tim, Tim and his wife Sarah and their children have been coming to New Life for about two years. Uh, but before that, they spent um, almost four years living in Iraq, just as ISIS has started to make moves in that country. And so we're going to hear some incredible stories this morning, but I just really encourage all of us, um, I-, I was blown away in the first service, but to uh, take a moment and just to be opening your hearts, opening your minds for what God might want to do this morning. I think this is stirring something in our church, and I believe it's going to really stir something this morning as well. So before we do that, would you just join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this morning as we continue in this Crucial Conversations series. And Lord, we believe this uh, this morning about, about this crucial conversation about refugees is something that is close to your heart. So we just pray you open our hearts and you speak to us as uh, we hear from Tim this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Before I interview Tim, I'd like to show you a short video uh, that will just kind of paint the picture a little bit about this morning. So would you please turn your attention to the screen? Thank you. There are 80 million displaced people in the world today, and that's the latest statistics from the United Nations. I would say that statistic now has grown considerably larger. And to think about that, that's 1% or more of the world's population. It's around 2.30. Then I heard my wife was just waking me up that, uh, Daddy, Daddy, wake up, wake up. These people have entered here. Then before I know anything, I just had some shots. Pa, 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 pa. 
A refugee is a person. Wherever you go in the world, a refugee camp is gonna look very different. It is a place that's built that says everything that you are in is temporary. It's a tent. These buildings are not permanent and yet you're expecting these families to somehow rebuild their life in a place when everything screams at them that nothing is certain, nothing is secure, anything can be ripped down and taken apart in a moment. Compassion just fills your heart like, what have these people been through? What have they seen? The average time a refugee spends in exile, 17 years. We had been living in Iraq for close to three and a half years and we had been serving throughout the ISIS refugee crisis. We had the privilege of building and being a part of building several micro-refugee camps, a school, medical clinic, and delivering various programs. I learned community. I learned what it means to belong in a place where everything kind of screams at you. You actually don't belong. You don't know the language. You don't know the culture. Oh my gosh, the amount of mistakes I made and miscues and you think, you're saying one thing, but they're interpreting it completely the wrong way. Yet, the people we lived amongst in Iraq, they showed us nothing but acceptance and love and grace towards us. And so I learned to belong. One verse that pops into my head, the example of the shepherd with the, the sheep and there was one missing. And how did the shepherd know one was missing? Like, it's, there's so many, like how, do, how can they know? And that um, I'll never forget that story of like, he, found, he went back for the one. Would you go out of your way for one person. They don't need our pity. They have brought their family to safety. They have led their family their whole lives, their fathers and the mothers and these children that they're bringing up. They have dignity and the ability to rebuild their own life. What they need is people to come alongside them, to serve them and to educate and empower them and give them the opportunities that you and I take for granted.
Will you join me in welcoming Tim Buxton to the stage? Tim, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you've already had a big weekend. Uh, we're doing three services and online today. Um, but Tim, on, on Friday, you were speaking at a TED Talk. Uh, for those who don't know what a TED Talk is, um, it's this online platform where different influencers get to share their ideas that, that matter. And so that gets streamed out to hundreds of thousands of people. So that was Friday. We've got three services today, three services next weekend. But I wanted to open this morning with something you said on Friday in your opening statement on that TED Talk. You said, on June 9th, 2014, a relatively unknown rebel army stormed across the Syrian-Iraqi border and in just one day had captured Iraq's second largest city, Mosul. Infamously known as ISIS, the world took notice as they went on a violent campaign to establish the Islamic Caliphate. And no one was going to get in their way, especially vulnerable, ethnic, and religious minorities. On that same searing, hot day in June, just 40 kilometers away at the Erbil International Airport, my young family also arrived in Iraq. So we've got a picture uh, behind me of this particular day uh, when all of this was taking place. I would love to know, and I'm sure we all might be wondering, what is your story? Tell us a little bit about your family, and how is it with, with just young children you ended up in a country that was at war? Well, firstly, thank you so much for allowing me to share today and to talk on this important issue. Um, and I must make a disclaimer at the beginning of this, and uh, my... Um, we got off a 40, uh, I think a 40-hour plane, sev um, several plane flights, and my beautiful wife behind me. I used this in the opening um, screen in our TED Talk, which I did actually last night. And, um, and it was, uh, and I did this disclaimer then, and I'll have to do it again today. Uh, I didn't get permission to show this photo, so I'm definitely going to uh, double up. Asking forgiveness once again, but um, she is uh, my hero, and I want to take the opportunity again to acknowledge you, Sarah. You're remarkable, and uh, thank you for following us and our family and where we've gone. But that day, my goodness, uh, we were oblivious, to be honest. We had no idea, as you can see. Um, this is the only photo we took because it was 45 degrees heat, um, and you don't want to be hanging around, and we had no help at the airport. We had all these luggage, uh, luggage to try and... Um, make our way through. And so um, we finally got drove the two-hour winding road to this new hometown of Saram, which was through seven army checkpoints and two, uh, three mountain ranges to this beautiful town of Saram, which I'd been before and kind of felt great to finally, you know, we'd spent a long time preparing for this, finally got there, and then the locals said, hey, guess what? Um, you know... Uh, yeah, ISIS has invaded and we're just like, well, who are they? And everyone else is figuring out who they are. And, and um, you know, for the next few months, really, um, you know, there's those moments in time when you face adversity and you realise I can either kind of run away or I'm just going to dig my tent pegs just a little deeper. 
And um, with the incredible hospitality of this town and the locals there and our colleagues that we came to work alongside, they made us feel so welcome. And, um, you know, I'd never forget this, this kind of, but it was kind of surreal and I never forget this story where there was this, um, you know, in the home that we lived in, it's, they're always bare empty. When people move, you know, from home to home, they take everything, even the, like literally even the kitchen cabinets get off-mounted off the wall and go with them to the next place. And so we had this absolutely nothing but tiles everywhere because it's, you know, it's a hot climate, but it's also snowing half the year, so it's very cold in the mountains as well. So you've got to, you've got to deck your whole house out. But it, um, I remember this guy was fixing blinds in our home and, um, and then um, the next day this local guy was there in the bazaar, local bazaar where I went in and there he was perched on the side of the road with his knapsack and a gun slung over his shoulder. And uh, a few minutes later, a Toyota Hiace picked him up with a jam pack full of other local men and he was taken straight to the front line to fight um, and protect um, that front line. Um, and so, mate, it was it was a real surreal time for us as a family. Wow. I, I, I've met a lot of people who have um, uh, packed their suitcases and moved to other countries, or quite a few of us have packed our suitcases in other countries and moved here, but I've never moved, met anyone that's done that and moved to Iraq. Um, what what stirred that in you? There, there, there must have been a calling, a, a sense of purpose that both of you guys felt for, for moving young children over there as well. What was it that, that started that passion for you? Yeah, both Sarah and I are, um, you know, we are so privileged to have had such wonderful parents that um, gave us an example of what it is to to serve both. I was born on the mission field in Indonesia. My parents... Um, then served with the Dani people in West Papua, and um, and Sarah's family also served in missions overseas, and and have just we inherited. Um, we can't lay claim to this. Look, I'm just um, a wonderful person. We were taught. We had so many people in our lives that have shown us along the way what it is to serve and love. But I think deep down there's this always been this calling of I want to go where no one else wants to go. I want to be for the ones that nobody else wants to 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 really care for and talk um, even talk with, and so um, um, I've tried to to follow that. And I've not always done a great job, and 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 I think we uh, we always have our insecurities in life. But yeah, and I, the first time I went there actually to Iraq was because my my boss. I was working in New York at the time, coordinating um, humanitarian teams. And my boss was asked to go to Iraq, um, and he's the missions director, and he said, I'm not going, um, but you can go, Tim. And I said, sure, count me in, you know. At the time, my wife was pregnant with our first um, daughter, Eliana, and um, I don't know how pleased she was that I actually went, but I jumped on that plane and went to Iraq in 2010 and just fell in love with the people and the place. And um, I knew that uh, one day God would bring our family there. And I remember coming back super excited to tell Sarah, hey, guess what? Wow. <laughs> She's like, no. Okay. Three years later, you know, I, in every, every few months I'd be like, could you just at least 
pray? And she'd be like, no. <laughs> but she did. And God, you know, God has a way of, of speaking to both of our hearts. And at the right time, God spoke to her. And she said, let's go. And, um, yeah, that's how we got there. <laughs> just incredible. You, you spent three and a half years over there working with essentially people who are fleeing from ISIS, um, and, and this is a big part of your ministry now. But uh, for a lot of us who are only seeing images on the TV screen, and, and that's, that's basically our knowledge of what uh, refugees are, can you unpack for us what is a refugee? What, what is a displaced person? What is their story? Yeah, so in that video you heard there's 80 million displaced people. Well, it's now 82.4 million. Um, And it's growing rapidly. Um, The conflict and war in the world, the natural disasters, uh, displacement. Um, You know, 40% of those that are displaced are children. Um... They've had to leave their home for no fault of their own. No fault of their own. They were just at the wrong place, the wrong time. And um, they are courageous. Um, They were our teachers when we were in Iraq. They taught us that they knew how to make a way. They knew how to find a way to survive. They led their families. Um, And and so... uh, one of the things I've realized is, and one of the things we, I even shared in my TED talk was actually this idea of how, how about we change the narrative of really what a refugee is because they are the most, on one hand, they are the most vulnerable people to all other forms of, of injustice in the world. Like we think of um, human trafficking and labor exploitation and we think of all these kinds of, of, of just severe poverty, Right. But those that are most vulnerable to falling prey to that are those that are displaced. And so our heart has always been, well, we want to go to them to make sure they don't fall prey to those kinds of other gross injustices that are out there. And so on one hand, they're extremely vulnerable, right? But on the other hand, they are the most creative, finding a way, making a way. So I I posited... Let's stop calling them refugees, IDPs. Who wants to be known by an acronym? You know, asylum seekers, people seeking asylum get labelled illegal immigrants. Labels are power, power. They create a narrative. They create emotion in us or queue jumpers or boat people, whatever we want to call them. How about we start calling them waymakers, and so that's been a, a passion of mine um, and something that I really feel called to. Amazing. I, I love that, Waymakers. Uh, something you mentioned in the video, you said, everything you're in is temporary. Uh, there's, there's a picture behind us of, of one of these, these camps. What does it do to someone to know that their future is uncertain? They don't know what country they're going to live in. They don't know if their family's going to be safe. Everything is temporary. What, what type of effect does that have on someone? Yeah, you know, there's uh, that, that camp actually behind. We, we, we actually, um, that went up in like seven days. And, and there is a moment and a time when emergency housing needs to be put up. But quite often those camps, those situations become a prison for people, you know, and 
Um, we all love to go camping, right? We all love to, we're Aussies, you know, we're probably the ones that go camping the most for our holidays and, and we love it, but we also love it when we get to go back to our nice warm bed and don't have to th- dust the sand out of everything that we're in, right? Um, uh, when you're stuck quite often in, and don't have the freedom to come and to go and you're trapped, how on earth can you rebuild your life? when everything around you is screams that, that you don't belong. And, uh, you know, I've got this, you know, we, we actually had to evacuate at one point. The ISIS was getting closer to us. And, um, and our NGO just said, please get out as safely as you can. And, and um, you know, that wasn't a, a fun experience for us as a family. But you know what I had? I had this. I had this Australian passport. also had an American one proudly married to an American wife who also has an Australian passport too. But we had this. Now, I I didn't earn this. I didn't, I don't deserve this. You know, they, they're trapped. They don't have the freedom and the opportunity to come and go and, and uh, it, it's, yeah, it breaks your heart. It really does. And so, um, you know, it, it, it can be the most difficult thing to rebuild your life. But if we can come alongside them, if we can give them not just pity, but realize that they are creative waymakers, that they can actually rebuild their families, they've led them to this point, you, you wait. They will, I promise you, um, prove prove everybody wrong and um, show us the way and be our teachers. Yeah, and and you, you founded an organization, which we'll talk about more soon, that really helps create that pathway for uh, people, especially coming to our shores here. I wanted to ask you, Tim, or I'll give you an example. Um, a few years ago, I was living over in Norway, where my wife is from, and uh, there's this uh, retreat center, like a camp about five-minute bike ride away from where we live, and I used to take my children there, would throw them on the bikes, would go down there, would play at this park. Um, a few years ago, uh, around 100 um, refugees from Afghanistan ended up uh, living in this retreat center. And I had no idea they were coming, and I, I rock up on my bike one day, and, and suddenly it's, it's the whole camp's filled with people from Afghanistan. And my first reaction was one of, you'd almost say, fear. Fear of the unknown. I've never met someone from Afghanistan. I see these different things on the news, and, and, and there's, there's this, like, elevated tension that I, I suddenly felt. However, I still went over. I went to the playground, started talking to some of the parents. Our kids started playing together, and this sounds so weird, but my thought was, these guys are just like Aussies. There's such a warm culture. They're really, really friendly. And I think often, you know, we can be afraid of the unknown. But I wanted to ask you a question. What are some of the common misunderstandings that we might have about refugees, or in particular when it comes to those from Muslim nations? Um, thanks for your honesty and vulnerability about your own, you know, sometimes feelings. You know, we all we all do that. We all prematurely judge and 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 have you know um, feelings of anxiety. We might walk up into a group of bikies and think, oh gosh, you know, like I'm scared, I'm afraid. But you know, they can be some of the most incredibly wonderful, loving people. And 
I want to flip the script a little bit with you on that because I want to know how you feel when you go into your workplace or into your school or wherever you might be in a group of friends and they, you say, oh, I'm a Christian. And there's that like, and you feel like you have to spend the next like five minutes kind of, well, I'm not kind of like one of those kinds of whatever Christians you might be thinking, or these kinds of Christians, you know, all the, the different kinds of Christians out there, right, that we're like trying to figure out, well, I just, you know, I'm a normal person, you know, and, and, and so, so I think it's helpful for us to realize that, you know, um, the, the Muslim people we lived, we were in this town of 150,000 people. There are only like three or four families um, of Western background, yeah, in this town. Like we were like, yeah, we stood out. Um, and, but they welcomed us like honoured guests and they were 99% Muslim and they uh, were our neighbours that would put their lives on the line for us. Uh, I remember for a, a time I, I went um, 10 days to go back to the States um, just to try and raise some money for the work that we were doing and I left my wife and, and children there. And the neighbours, right, Sarah, they all every day were bringing meals. They were sending their elder daughters over to help Sarah with all the children who she was homeschooling at the time. And uh, again, you, she started a preschool, by the way, and empowered local teachers there. So uh, if you get a chance to talk with Sarah afterwards, you, you're going to talk to a real hero. But, but this, this in, incredible generosity of spirit that um, I talked about labels before. You know, we've got to look past labels. You know, I would, I would share on a weekly basis. Um, I had these friends that would come over to my house or we'd go to the, this, uh, some other location and we'd just trade stories about Jesus and they would try to convince me that they love Jesus more than me. Jesus is in the Quran more than any other prophet. Did you know that? And their heart is pure. Like there's a there's a, there's a longing and a loving in their heart. And and I think um, you know so much of our ideas and prejudices that we think can just be shattered if we just see someone as a person um, and just open our hearts to listen to their story and drop. You know, drop the labels, you know, and, and just uh, do that. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's what I would encourage you to do because we all sit here and carry labels that we don't want to be defined by. We don't want to be defined by our, our, our relationship status of our past or a disease or, or, or whatever that might be that you're carrying. Um, just um, see and moving close to one another and... I love that. Yeah. I, th- I think even just saying th- they're people, you know, I think sometimes because people might come from a certain country or might have a, a certain belief system, we can uh, fall into that labeling or fear or whatever it might be. But I'm like looking at this little boy, you know, up on the screen behind me in the car waving and, you know, e- every person matters to God. Uh, and speaking of, um, you're holding the Bible there in front of you. What, what is it that, that, that you see in the Word? What, what, is, what does the Bible um, teach us when we are to welcome and, and, and love the refugee? Yeah, well, when, when I look at the life and teachings of Jesus, I mean, you asked me before what is the, you know, to think of a few scriptures and I'm like, man, like I could just, like, I mean, 
will be there all week looking at <laughs> scriptures that speak to this topic. But I think if Jesus were, were here today and will walk into this church, this synagogue, like he did all those years ago, and take a passage from the Bible to read, I think he would have gone to Isaiah 61. And, and let me read what he, 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 uh, he said that day in a synagogue. He quoted a prophet from the Old Testament. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. That's what the gospel is to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to who? The prisoners. To, and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, Jesus' whole life was for the outcast, for those that didn't belong. And he told them, guess what? There's a religious system. There's a government and political system that says, you're a leper, you don't belong. What he did, he put a big circle around him and said, no, you're in, you belong. People that were morally dubious in society's eyes, pointing the finger at them, he said, you know what? You're one of them. You're, you're in. You're, I love you. And um, he went to, I mean, the Good Samaritan, the story you had on the, uh, on the screen for refugees, you know, he, I mean, he's like, we've got to cross ethnic and all these other boundaries to just bring freedom and life and hope to those that... Um, that yeah need help, and so uh, the 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 Old Testament even right, I mean the widow, the the orphan and the alien were often grouped together more often than not, and so all throughout the testimony of 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 this this book that we I'm holding in my hand is this heart for the foreigner for the stranger you know there's actually a Greek word there's seven greek words for love and one of them is is xenia and that actually um means love for a stranger um, it's this hospitable love for a foreigner um and i think many of us forget that that is the very heart of god um is um to not forget the stranger and the foreigner they actually built cities of refuge for people trying to flee it's incredible. I love even just the way you're saying that, that uh, the heart of Christ is that you belong, that all of us, that we belong in, in the family of God. And then also that's the name of your, your ministry, uh, your organization is You Belong, that, that people who are coming to our shores, uh, even though they are from different countries and different cultures, that they can have that sense of belonging as well here. Uh, I've got a picture coming up, I believe, uh, Tim, and this is uh, at a camp, I believe, in Iraq. And I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I know in my journey, I've traveled a lot, lived in many countries, especially developing countries, and, and uh, worked a lot with water projects and with poor people. And there's been many times in my own ministry where I've found myself in situations and I've just been simply overwhelmed. It's, it's too much. The, the, the poverty is too great. What can I possibly do? And, and just being 
many times in the last 15 years where I've been in those situations where um, my environment was a little bit different from yours, but you, you, there's, here's a picture uh, of you just contemplating looking out over a, a camp there. How do you wrestle through um, the, the tragedy and the challenge and the uncertainty of some of the things that you and your family have witnessed? Um, to be quite honestly, I not very well <laughs> sometimes. Um, and I think um, it, it can be overwhelming. You know, we, we, I don't want you to walk out of this room with such high and lofty thoughts of, of Sarah and I to an extent that, you know, many of us are, are facing a really tough time in life. In fact, um, you know, we've, we've had some pretty bad news here in the family just recently and then, um, you know, I've tried to do things in my own strength and got burnt out. Um, even this year, there were times where for like a couple of months every morning, uh, my anxiety was so bad that I would be throwing up every morning. My, my kids would just, um, my youngest, I remember, he just looked over at me and, and he would think it's funny. Daddy go, ah, ah, ah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, I want you to know that, um, that we can't do this in our own strength, you know, and we can only do this as we really lean on God's spirit. We talked about refugees being waymakers, right? The greatest thing is we have a waymaker who can, who is inside of us leading us on as we allow him to make a way for us. So just want to encourage you, like, I, yeah, don't always have, might not be the greatest answer for you <laughs> in that question, but don't always um, have the, you know, get it right. Um, so, yeah. Oh, no, I really appreciate your transparency. And um, th that, was, that wasn't planned. That came out in the first service and, and I think it even took you off guard. And, and I said, no, I think that's so important that people realize, you, you, you know, we see these amazing pictures up on the screen and, and you know, in many ways you're, you're doing incredible things, but there's a cost to it and there's challenges with it. And, and, and sometimes it is overwhelming. I think uh, to recognize the reality of that is just, it's, it's sometimes just what it is. And I love uh, what Sarah was saying in the video, just, you know, how, how Jesus goes back for the one. And uh, I remember even in my own experiences, sometimes just, just similar, just overwhelmed by what I'm seeing and what I'm doing. And, and just like, am I even having an impact? But then there's one, and then there's the next one, and then there's the next one. And, and, and just, I feel God just gives me, uh, in my personal journey, just that, that heart to keep going a little bit further and then a little bit further. But yeah, really appreciate just um, your transparency and openness with that question. Just ask for help too mm. when you need it. Just ask for help. Sometimes that's the bravest thing you can do. Yeah, that's great. You started an organization a little while ago that's based here, uh, and I believe in America as well, called You Belong, um, which is helping us engage in uh, welcoming people. So share a little bit more about that and how it started. Yeah, so we came back. We actually had to evacuate again <laughs> from Iraq. Um, there was quite a lot of political tension um, and uh, all the land borders were closed and we actually got one of the last flights out. Um, we, we were going to decide either to stay or to leave, but Sarah was pregnant with baby number four. And so um, we were like, okay, um, 
let's just let's just get. We were planning to go home for a break to have the baby, so we just just literally packed up in twelve hours and and left and and uh, haven't been back since. And um, well, I have, but uh, there hasn't been. And um, and uh, we we um, we came back to Australia pretty beaten up and broken. But you know, God. Um, we discovered, like, within a month that there was 2,500 Iraqi and Syrian refugees now living in Toowoomba. And and many of them were Yazidi. And these were many of the people group um, that we were working with, uh, Shabak and, and Yazidi. There's a slide of two men hugging. Um, can you put that slide up? Um, uh, I need to tell this story, if that's okay, John. Um I didn't tell this in the first service, but um, those two men in any other time and place would be enemies. One is uh, Shabak Shia Muslim who had to flee his town. They got He took his group of 23 family, left within an hour before ISIS came into their town. They were ratted out by their neighbours. They were the first group that we built a camp micro village for and the other group is uh, Yazidi men who fled ISIS from Sinjar Mountain. And they lived side by side for three and a half years, shared pain and sorrow. And that is actually an embrace of them having to say goodbye because uh, Mosul was liberated um, from ISIS and they were the first ones to have the courage and the resiliency to go back to their hometown and rebuild their ravaged town after ISIS had been kicked out. Um, and so back, to, to, back to, to discovering that now some of the families who couldn't go back to their hometown and languishing in refugee camps and had gone through the whole visa process, which can take several, several years. You could be waiting in a camp for five, ten years just trying to get a visa. We're coming to Australia. And I just wanted to meet them. So I would get in my car and drive the three and a half hours once a week up to Toowoomba. I was Uber driving. I didn't know, like, I was just didn't know what we were going to do to live. You know, we just left. And I, I just drove and I just spent time with these families. I could speak the little bit of the language and I just knew that their hospitality would be my healing balm. And out of nowhere, we met some incredible people in Toowoomba that just had such a heart and they are leading an incredible work up there and we are doing English programs and trauma recovery programs for not only adults, but we've taken a, a hero's journey program um, into the public schools to help the children process and walk through uh, life adjustments. We've got now driving mentoring so they can get their license, especially for women who feel trapped and, and not need that independence. Um, there's so many things happening. People have a heart to serve and, and it's, it's grown and we hope to, to expand it not only here but, but around, around the world where we're re refugees and we still have a heart for... You know, 85% of the world's refugees are living in under, undeveloped countries where they can't even care for their own citizens. And so there's still a part of us that want to be part of that too and, and be a, a help where the need's the greatest. But right here on the Gold Coast, uh, interestingly enough, um, this was just before COVID, but I think it still stands, the government had made a decision that 50% of all future refugee settlement were going to be in regional zones like Toowoomba and Armadale and Wagga and these other towns. But guess what? 
the Gold Coast got reallocated as a regional zone so that it could be a future recipient of refugees. So I think we've got um, an opportunity before us to be part of something great. When you mentioned that in the first service, it, 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 my mind just started going, you know, what does that mean for, for us as a church or a family of churches, you know, to respond to those who are coming to our shores? And um, there's a video we're about to show that I think really captures the heart of what you guys do with your ministry. So why don't we just take a moment and watch the screen? Hi, my name is Rahila and I live in Toowoomba, Queensland. Before we moved to Australia, I was quite scared coming to a country where basically everything is different. There's a lot of good stuff, the fact that I can work, I can go to uni, and also the fact that I'm safe. Currently, I'm in my second year of law degree, and I work at Bunnings. I love it, and I love the people. I've learned a lot of Aussie slang. Well, actually, I learned this uh, from my team members. I'm going to use the Dunny which means I'm going to use the toilet. Art is my hobby. I think art shows someone's identity, who they are, what they love, and what experiences they've been through. My art is an expression of my culture, my identity, and I want to share it with the world. To belong means love, respect, kindness, and sharing. Isn't that a great video? So, Tim, uh, lastly this morning, as I think this is important to recognize, you pulled out your passport before. You know, most of us are citizens or residents, or we have visas to be here. And uh, as people um, who are a part of this society, but also as believers, and then also as, as, a, as a family of believers, as a church, what is our role here? Or what are some practical ways? of how we can be involved? You know, one of the first things we did when we wanted to reach out to these newly settled families, you know, uh, waymakers, was we hosted these welcome picnics and we just got the whole community out. We put the word out. We got jumping castles and we just put on a spread of food on the ground like they would eat of their local food and, you know, some good Aussie tacos, you know, the sausage and a bread. We made sure that, 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 you know, there was this sense of like, hey, guys, welcome to Australia, but we want you to feel at home. We want to feel that you're loved. And, and so you didn't ha all you had to do was show up and just you probably couldn't talk to them, but you could give them a smile. You could probably, you know, we've got a podcast called Who Is My Neighbor? We really believe that education and helping people understand the incredible stories that these, you know, Rahila, what an amazing woman. Like, the future of our country, you know, is in good hands with girls like her. And so uh, incredible stories of, of, these, of these people so you can learn, you can obviously give to our work we really um are just a new organization we've only been around a few years and it's it's just getting off the ground but we want to be prepared and ready to 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 continue expand our work into other places and and it takes finances to do that there's ways you can volunteer um and hopefully maybe we'll host an interest night one day
someday time soon here on the Gold Coast and look at ways that we can develop a greater work even here in our own community. So there's so many ways you can get involved. Stop by the desk and um, pick up a card and I'm sure we'll, yeah, figure out a way. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Tim. And uh, what you guys are doing is just inspirational. We're so glad that you are a part of our community. You're here every week with your family. Uh, And so I'd encourage you, if something's tugging on your heart, go and speak to Tim and Sarah in the courtyard afterwards or any other Sunday. Uh, You come along to church, check out their website, You Belong. Um, And and to close with this morning, I'd love for, uh, actually, Sarah, if you'd like to come to the stage as well and I'd love for you guys to just lead us in prayer, and if you're able, if you just hop to your feet, and we're just going to close this morning and just uh, pray for these waymakers. So if you'd please lead us. Father, um, my heart is drawn to the people standing in this auditorium today, Lord, Um you know where they're at in their life. Maybe they feel displaced. Maybe they are feeling disowned by a family member. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they just don't fit in where they're in in life. And I just know you want them to know that they are the apple of your eye, that you love them dearly, And I pray that they would receive that here in this room. God, as we walk out knowing that we cannot give until we've firstly received, just as you sent out your disciples, um, send us out. Um, And you said them freely you've received, now freely give. And so I pray that their hearts would be open to receive unconditional love and acceptance from you right now. And I pray, Lord, just as we look to empower the least of these, just as you said, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me, Lord, help us to realize that your heart for them is so much greater than ours, and you are the way maker. And you're making a way in our lives and in their lives. And what a privilege it is to follow you. So as we go out, Lord, just help us to Put our hope and our trust in confidence in you. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Will you join me in thanking Tim and Sarah for sharing with us this morning? We're going to respond now in worship, and I love this. Um, a little over an hour ago, uh, we, we found out what the song was going to be to finish the service today, and it's called Waymaker, and we had no idea. And uh, even the team was wrestling with what to close out the service with. And then uh, Beck Howe actually felt that this was the one that we're meant to land on. And so when we were in the room earlier, in the green room, we are like, oh my goodness, this is just so on theme with what we feel God is trying to do today. So would you please join us in responding in worship?